0: So June is the month we celebrate Black music and the huge imprint of African-Americans on music across the country and the world. A year ago, Team Supreme made a special trip to Philadelphia to sit down with a few living legends. This episode is all about Kenny Gamble, co-founder of Black Music Month, half of The Sound of Philadelphia, and lord of production and composition. Yes, this is truly a special episode. Oh, and don't forget to check out the archives for the classic Quest Love Supreme episode posted this week with Black Music Month co founder and legendary radio personality Deanna Williams. Yep, school is in session, so let us begin.
3: Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: good, you bro. know, that's all I got. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Quest Love Supreme. We have the Supreme team with Ooh. us. We have Fonticolo in the house. Yeah. And we got uh, Boss Bill. And yeah, you hear him loud and clear. We got Unpaid Bill. Yeah. And we <laughs> also have Sugar Steve. And of course, Laia. How are you? I'm great. This is a special episode. We are not doing the Supreme roll call, we are in the presence of Black Music. Royalty, oh yes. You know? Universal Music royalty. And this I think yeah. you're gonna
4: cut this song off in a minute too. This is my jam.
3: No, the best part's about to happen.
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies
3: and gentlemen, we are blessed to be in the presence of one of the greatest, one of the greatest composers, businessmen, producers song so funky, I can't even form don't a talk, sentence. Just be quiet. Play. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> Woo. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who gave us the sound of Philadelphia. The man who gave me my own career. Without him, there is no sound of Philadelphia. The one and only Kenny Gamble on yeah. Love Supreme.
4: And I almost don't want you to turn. Don't turn that So yeah. class. Yeah. So
0: yeah. class.
4: I'm sorry. You gotta get, wait, till, wait till my part. Come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's coming. Can we tell people what this song this is? This is MFS Big uh, Mysteries of the World. Yes. yes. Right,
3: exactly. You hey. you skipped it. No, I didn't. This <laughs> is so good. I had to go back to the top. I'm sorry. To <laughs> to <good laughs> top.
4: But it was just right there. That, Actually was I went to the
3: end of the song to avoid that bridge, but I didn't know that meant so that, much well, to you yeah. that you know I just ruined the moment
2: for yeah, you. I'm you sorry. did. You did. Thank Welcome you. to Quest Love Supreme, <laughs> sir. <laughs> this this is what we do. Happen. We just argue about things.
3: <laughs> uh again, uh Mr.
5: Kenny Gamble.
3: Yes. Dr. Kenny Gamble. Man, that.
4: thank you. <laughs> Man, is, wow. That's
5: beautiful. Wow <sighs> What about Dexter All right, so that's,
4: that's, that's what, Oh man, I was listening to you can't be you can be what you want to be this morning in the shower. That's my jam can be right what there. What you want to be? It's a great one. Yeah, yeah. And one million miles from the ground. And, yeah. Oof.
6: So we're just gonna start. There <laughs> yeah, just we're top the mountain. <laughs> here we go. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I'm wanna, sorry. These no, are jams. Yeah, no. these are jams. And I want to say just it, it's I'm so it's such an honor to have you here because you're the first record label. As a kid, I knew exactly what the records were gonna yes. sound like. Just from from the label From the label I remember like my aunt She was like a big You know Philly International So she had everything She was a She was a real big Gene Karn fan Oh great And so she used to uh, play Like I'm Back For More Like that's like One of my favorite songs But I remember Like going through A record collection And anytime I saw Like that green Green. The green label With the little red I (laughs) knew it was gonna be strings I knew it was gonna be Like Mm -hmm. super clean Like I just knew that and that was tried, so amazing. We
5: tried to make it red, black and green,
6: you know. Like, ah. yeah. oh, oh. Wow. I didn't even see. think about that. So see.
5: the vinyl was the black vinyl was black. Right. See? Ooh. Wow. Cuz the this, people
0: got the power.
3: There's levels to this. <laughs> so, okay, so was it by design cuz there was a point in history when that logo didn't have the two white dots in the middle? Oh. Our logo? Yes. Uh Ooh. the very first uh like the uh, uh I mean I miss you uh how oh, album, the
5: blue notes yeah. there
3: uh the the two white dots aren't in the middle of the philly international it, that didn't come until like 73 so there are a few albums that are without that white dot i thought that was by no design no, and that's the purpose. first
5: i'm 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 hearing about this <laughs> oh <see?
2: laughs>
3: well it
5: could be different pressing plants similar right with least, like, like Motown Motown and Yeah, and yeah. Dark <laughs> <Motown>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's great man it really is and uh I tell you, we we tried our best, and and uh, we had good people with us too. You guys succeeded as far as yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm thankful. Thank you very much, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you. This is a beautiful thing. There's Were, a, little, a lot of energy going on. <laughs> hey man. Were you born in Philadelphia? South Philly. Yeah. Where? Fifteenth and Christian. Wow. Uh,
0: down the block from where you live now.
5: Right, right, right down the block from where I live. Now. And wow. you still live there? Still live there. How does it feel to?
3: Grow up there, to be born there and see where it it was sort of dissolved to and yeah. you single handedly Well, we have you, a, we you, had a you did gentrification the right way. The <laughs> right way. Yeah. Well I yeah. Had ate at those restaurants. I loved eating at those
5: restaurants.
3: Everything that you did for that neighborhood.
5: It was it's it's been um you know, it really to me it was like It was like a no-brainer almost, you know. How can you live in the world where you got the era that I grew up in, where you got Malcolm X, you got Muhammad Ali, you got Elijah Muhammad, you got um, Reverend Leon Sullivan, you got all these great people talking about building our community. And then I used to go to a lot of meetings, and I would ask people, I said, well, who's going to do it? You know what I mean? We all say, you know, you know, we should do this, and we should do that, and we could have this, and we could have that. But the question is, is who's going to do it? So with my children and everything, with Cleef and Saladin and an idea, and my family, you know, we decided to, to give it a try. And and I didn't live there all the time, uh, of course. I lived there, and then I moved away like everybody else do. I moved into the suburbs, and it was really nice, but I kept thinking about South Philly, you know, and I'm always in South Philly because that's where our office was and everything. So eventually, I don't know inspiration comes to, came and said, "Look, and when we did, a, let's clean up the ghetto." Mm-hmm. That that was that was one of those ones that kept pounding in your head. And so it's a, it's like a you got to you put one foot foot forward and see what you can do. And and it all started pretty much with. Um, with buying the properties. Once we started buying all the properties, and we had so many of them, he said, now what are we gonna do with all these raggedy houses? Today? <laughs>
4: <laughs> all,
5: the, all these vacant lots and raggedy houses, and uh, and so it's just a matter of, uh, hey, we're gonna clean up the ghetto, we're gonna rebuild, and the way to, re, not only rebuild the houses and whatever, but rebuild the people, rebuild the culture and, and everything, and so, so it started working. It's, it's it. We've been there now. So we moved. Like 1990. 1990 is when we moved back to South Philly. Okay. You know, and we were in we were in Gladwin. You know, because it was it was beautiful out in Gladwin. And uh, but it wasn't as beautiful as it was when we moved back to South Philly. Although it was a culture shock for my kids, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Say where are we at now, you know? But um, it's like one of those things where, you know, you can't you can't really keep uh, asking somebody else to do something for you. Man, talk about it. that you can do for yourself, you know. So that's pretty much what this is, is an effort, and it's not by myself. We got hundreds of people that really saw where we were coming from, and and you rebuild a whole neighborhood, you rebuild a whole community of people.
0: Not to mention the school system
5: and the schools, and that was everything. Is evolves around health, good health, and uh, uh, education. That's it. So we have some tremendous uh, health programs that we work on, and education uh, was the was the number one thing that we got involved with, and that was the charter schools. And so we have eight charter schools. And believe me, it's not an easy thing. It's not easy. It's gonna take, it's gonna take years and years to reverse this this consciousness that is within, especially the African American community. And but it's working. It can and it will work. You know. So uh, so it's not it's not it's not easy.
3: Did you know that you were going to see it through from the very beginning, assuming that you started acquiring the property yeah. in the late 80s. Because even I heard, like, when I, when my uncle used to drive me to and from school, Right. and we used to go, uh, like, all that dilapidated, busted down property. Yeah, And he was like, yeah, you know, Kenny G- Gamble owns all this. And I could imagine, like, all these blocks. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> you know. And I couldn't see f- that far in the future to to figure out what vision you had to refurbish it and and, and restore it back to yeah. what it is now like so from what year did you start to say that I'm gonna rebuild well when we, di- when we did 14, that record? is it 14 or 15 blocks in
5: south Philly or well we well it's we started like from um from like um, 11th street. Mm -hmm. all the way up to like 24th street from South street all the way over to Washington Avenue that was the area and within that area there were a lot of vacant we had maps we had like a war room you know what I mean Uh maps that had every house every abandoned lot every school everything on, on these on these maps and what we did is came up with our plan. Our plan was to be able to build a community that you could take and have some open spaces, you know, where you'd have some uh, some gardens and have something open. Um, the schools, I mean, it, this has been the hardest part is the schools. You know what I mean, the education thing. And um, as what,
3: in developing it, like you just can't tell the city. I'm gonna open up. You got to work
5: with them. Yeah, you got to work with them, even if it's a private school or. Well, these are charter schools, so okay. these these are public private schools. Okay. The problem with uh, um, with private schools is the economics of it, you know, and um, and because many of our people don't have the money to pay to go to a charter school. I mean, to a private school. private school, right. Yeah, so so we have um, we got a one, one wonderful thing going, and um, and one of the things I can't think of it now, you know. That's one of the things that happen when you get old, you start missing things. <laughs> You'd be thinking about it. Started it started with it, us, too. It's gone, but it'll come back. It'll come back later. Yeah. Man. So
3: how did music first enter your life um, growing up in Philadelphia?
5: What got you into the music? Yeah. Well, I you know, the music to me was always there. I always loved music. And there was a day that, that sticks out in my life, right? The day that sticks out in my life was there used to be um, a baptism that used to have happen on uh, 15th and Christian, where I used to live. And it was the Daddy Grace Church. Oh. 16th oh. of ah. yeah. House of Prayer. House of Prayer. So th- the bands, I don't know if you ever heard the bands in there. But it was around my birthday when they have their, uh, their convocations. And uh, okay. and that morning uh, when my mother, I asked her, I said, well, who is that, you know, up the street? And they were out there baptizing people with this hose, with a hose. Oh, wow. Yeah, with a water hose. like with, uh, And uh, it was so interesting that even today, I still go there because they always had a convocation around uh, my birthday. They have it all across the country, by the way. And so that's, that's what really got me listening to music. That when, and when you listen to our music, listen to them horns in there, because I try to to get them horns going in there. And uh, it was good. One other thing you asked me was um, seeing the whole project through. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, We started in the 70s with uh, buying the properties, we clean up the ghetto. The intention was to buy those properties and get the land first. And so that was, uh, there was a brother, his name was Norman Gatson, who worked along with us. And he was, um, he's a real estate guy. He knew a lot about real estate. And my wife, she knew about real estate. So we kind of disguised Norman as a person because then we could get him for very low prices, because at that particular time, the uh, um, the property in these neighborhoods, that um, I mean, these vacant lots and whatever at that time, they were very very cheap. You know, and the city really wanted to see things uh, developed, <laughs> and they had a couple of um, public housing uh, programs, and so we we were able to build up a, a construction development company and it worked out good it worked out real good that um, that the city of Philadelphia it's not easy it's not easy because there's a lot of red tape involved and all this stuff mm-hmm. but you know you got to go through it to get to where you want to go and that's what started the whole thing but but the the one ingredient as as we were doing this brother the one thing that came into my mind was why haven't these programs worked before you have so many good intentioned people that want to do something in the community. And what I found out is is that in the development business is that you have people who live out of the African-American community doing all the work in the, in the community. And so what we decided to do is to live in the community. So that was the biggest decision of all is to move back into South Philadelphia and be there. So that the neighborhood, because it was all in the newspapers, you know, Kenny Gamble moved back to South Philly. You know, they wants because the what do you call it when the neighborhood's being ch- turned around? Gentrification. Gentrification. Thank you, brothers. Uh, that was starting to happen, and uh, and even today, I mean, it's just unbelievable. You got lots in South Philadelphia that were at that particular time maybe. You know, you could buy them for five thousand dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. But today, those same lots today might cost you fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. And so, it's become a money game. In fact, all of all of it is 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 based on on economics. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is like New York and Harlem. Same thing happened there. Same things happened in Washington D.C. All over the country, you know. So that's what happened.
3: Wow. So with music, what? You were a guitar player, correct? Or you played almost a
5: guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've about, heard about you dabbling yeah, guitar back. Yeah. I got maybe about six chords that I could play. <laughs> well That's all what you was need. the
3: what was the first musical performance you gave Or Like how did you develop your
5: chops? Well. Well, you know we had a band called the Romeos. Okay. And Always we had some good people. I mean, Roland Chambers. He was a guitar Roland player. Chambers. Okay. Oh, he was great, man. You know, and um, and then his brother Carl was a drummer. hmm Carl Chambers. And you had Tom Bell, who played keyboards. You had Leon Huff, who was with us, who played keyboards and Wurlitzer and all that stuff. And you had uh, Lenny Pakula, who uh, played the organ. And um so we used to play we used to play on the weekends all the time. Okay. All the time we play on the weekends and uh and that that was a lot of fun. That was a whole lot of fun. Okay. Working on the weekend.
3: Well, it's I would say that uh so you're saying that the 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 gathering of the what you would form uh or dub the Sound of Philadelphia the Tom Bell and all those guys, they st- you all started together when you were in high school?
5: Or- oh, yeah. Okay. Tom Bell, I met him, uh, his sister, my name is Barbara. She used to be in my class. Okay. And so uh, she asked me, she said, come on, walk me home one day. One day, so I walked her home. She lived on um, Parrish Street, fifty something, 50th and Parrish. Mm-hmm. When I got to their house, I heard somebody playing a piano. So I asked her, I said, who's that playing the piano? She said, that's my brother, Tommy. I said, let me meet him. Me and Tommy Bell, we wrote three songs that day. Wow. Really? We still got those songs. I mean, and the funny part about it is we I keep telling him, I said, Tom, I said, we got to cut them songs. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we got to cut them songs, man, because if we go, nobody will know. You know what I mean? She
0: but wait, like, I got a question. You were, Weren't you raised... Were well, you raised Jehovah's Witness right? Okay.
5: Yeah Jehovah's Witness So
0: how did the music How did you Cause aren't they kind of strict When it comes to the music Or how did you
5: Yeah I mean Well yeah them? They have their own uh, music uh, Jehovah's Witnesses But
0: They do I didn't even know
5: that Scary yeah. yeah Well I mean They're not their own music They have their own little song book It's not like going uh-huh. to a Baptist church Or whatever And they got uh, so
3: you, you were know. never raised in that Sort of No Howling Fire and brimstone No not really?
5: That. No, never raised in that. But you know what? I loved it. You know, I love I love being in in the house of prayer, and um, and I still go around there. I still go there even now when I want to charge and I want to I want to see the real thing wow. happening. I mean, you get like you say, you go there, you get a good meal, right? And and uh, not only spiritual food, but you get some physical food, you know. And uh, wow! And so I always keep it on in, on in mind, you know.
3: Your partnership with uh, Brother Leon Huff, when did that... Oh,
5: uh, uh, that, that was that was really the key to the whole thing. There used to be uh, the Schubert Theater on Broad Street. Broad Street. And, um, and Huff and I, we were working in the same building. I was working on the sixth floor, and Huff was working on the fourth floor. Okay. I was working with a guy named Jerry Ross... <clears throat> who had a label, the dream lovers. I don't know if you remember them when we get married and all those songs like okay. that. And, uh, and Huff was working with, um, uh, Madera and associates. They had, they had Bunny Sigler. He was working with them and you had Lynn Barry who did one, two, three. You had, uh, they were working with Leslie Gore. I mean, so oh, wow. me and, me and, me and Huff just met up one day coming in that building. And, uh, and we started talking, because there wasn't that many African-Americans in that building. so
3: Was it kind of like a Brill building for Philadelphia? There you
5: go. Okay. Sa- the same thing, but much, much smaller than the Brill building, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so we was able to um, to meet up and talk a little bit about what we wanted to do, you know, what our dreams and aspirations were. And, and so uh, I went over his house. I said, I'm going to come over to your house. He lived in Camden. So I went over his house one day. And we started writing songs. It was it was just like me meeting Tommy Bell. Me and Huff must have wrote maybe about six, seven songs, you know. And uh, from that point on, then Huff got in the band, uh, the Romeos. Okay. And that's what made it really us gel even closer because we would be rehearsing all the time. And the key to the Romeos was that the Romeos was a band that we used to take songs that were already out. That were very popular, like safer, and they keep on pushing, like Curtis Mayfield and mm-hmm. people like that. We would take their songs and rearrange them. We'd do a lot of medleys. We'd do and people be familiar with the, the the songs, but they would be different. So, right. and Huff is a he's a singer. Roland was a singer. Tommy was a singer. I could sing a little bit. So we used to do like the high lows. Oh, wow. Okay, like we we were shot like, shot. Yeah, like, yeah, like like take six. We used to do that kind of music too, you know. And uh, I really liked that better than, uh, than anything, you know, when we all sang together. You know, because I never really did like being on stage myself, not by myself, you know. I never did. Um, strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. It was beautiful, you know, so.
3: So do you know the first song that you charted on an artist pre-Philly International?
5: philly international the first hit that we had before international like well, what
3: what was the label scene like in philly like i know there's lost night
5: there was a lot Changer of them and... yeah there was a lot of them it was uh chancellor mm-hmm. there was cameo parkway I, I did a
3: dad, like record for all these labels like, all of them <laughs> i have a collection of <laughs> just like 50 labels all with different
0: Unbelievable! Oh, and
5: I was a fan of Lee, uh, Lee Andrews. Lee Andrews, yeah. I was a fan. Of you can, I knew him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah unbelievable. He was. Uh, his voice was like unbelievable. Oh, thank you.
3: So, and how how is it that we had like over twenty labels in, in Philadelphia, and then suddenly they just started to dissolve one by
5: one. The industry changed. Okay industry changed just like it's changing now the industry changed then because it went from independent distributors to the corporations taking over say for example um you would have um i I would say in Philadelphia there were about let's say 15 distributors mm-hmm. in Philadelphia and those distributors would might might be Rosens was a distributor on North Broad Street, and he would sell, he would distribute maybe Mercury records, RCA records, and um, maybe Epic. Mm -hmm. Then you'd have um, Williams uh, distribution. They would have four or five other uh, um, labels. Now, the thing of it is, is that it got down to the point where, where the industry became... More consolidated, okay. Like a Chippets. Chippets had Motown. It had Scepter. It had, it had all these labels, you know. And you would you would make a record. We made records, and and uh, it was much easier in those days for us because you make a record, you go get Chippets to distribute it for you, and you get. It was airplay was the whole thing. You got to get your record on the radio somebody's got to play it in order for people to to want it. And um and so the whole industry changed <clears throat> when the CBS's, the Warner Brothers and all of these major corporations started to consolidate and they would buy all of these little labels and put them all together. So then the Warner Brothers became a distributor themselves. Oh, okay. Columbia Records became a distributor themselves. And so once they became distributors, they were able to take guys like Gambling Huff mm-hmm. because we were independent. in fact, it was a good thing and a bad thing because they became your competition now, you know, the major companies. Right. But what we were able to do is to survive because we became a creative company. And the marriage that we needed was, and that we we searched for, was an administrator who could collect whatever royalties, whatever monies that was due from all over the world, because it's a worldwide industry. So you got to be able to collect money from from uh, Philippines, Bra- Philippines, yeah. and Brazil, every place you can think of. Yeah
3: how How familiar are you with the Harvard report, which, um? I believe that the original Harvard report was drafted in 1971. Right? 1971. of which uh, I guess it was stated that uh, for I don't know if the point was that for major labels to survive, or for black music to survive, but basically the idea of a major label uh,
5: adopting—that's where a, we were—a smaller black label. Yeah, that's that's what Philly International was.
3: So was it someone who? Because by that point in '72, even though there was there was backstabbers and the, like things were starting to heat up, but who who was the person that you know who was inspired to write the Harvard report that really argued for you guys to to have a deal with Clive Davis, or he read this Harvard report and it's like you know
5: you're right I should do this. I think they sponsored it. Oh, okay. A lot of the record companies sponsored it because. We were there at CBS like nineteen sixty, nine, seventy is when we was making our deal. Right. And it was kinda like it shadowed what we were doing with uh with CBS mm-hmm. because there was a time when we would do albums and we would um have album covers. And we would put the um, like an artist like Jerry Butler or somebody like that on the front cover, Mm -hmm. and their sales department would say no, we can't sell it. They couldn't sell it because it was a black face on it. Race records, race records. This is where they were coming from. And so when we got into it, it was a little more. um, Music became a little more of a, a protest instrument, right? You know, and the the industry just opened up. It opened up. Why, like in Texas, there, there was a, a rack jobber there. A rack jobber is a guy who's got a warehouse, and he'll buy 100,000 albums and distribute them himself. But you'll see him. This guy, his name, his name was Lieberman. And he wouldn't really sell that many albums, black albums, in the beginning. But radio changed from AM to FM. Mm-hmm. It reached more people. The whole marketplace just opened up. So a Lieberman, like a Earth, Wind, and Fire album. These albums were not just hit R and B albums. These were hip pop. Everything else you can think of. You can see it today in uh, in your commercials and everything. Right. They're using that music because that music crosses all those generations. And and uh, and so I think I think that's what really had the industry rolling is that the times were changing. Okay. You
3: no know. Know, knowing that uh you guys initially went to uh Ahmed Erdogan uh and Wexler at Atlantic First uh for Philly International. Mm-hmm. Have you guys spoken to them since? Uh have they expressed any regret on not <laughs> not taking the deal?
5: <laughs> well, you know, all of them are gone. Ahmed and Jerry Wexler. Right. And uh Neshiwe. Erdogan, right.
6: right.
5: I think they chose to work with Stax rather than us, and that wasn't that wasn't a bad move. I mean, Stax, but Stax was not like Philly International. I worked with them a few times, you know.
4: Yeah,
3: there's definitely some sound. Wilson Pickett,
5: Archie Bell, 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 yeah, yeah. Wilson Wilson Pickett's record, "Don't Let the Green Grass Fool You." Yeah, that was a that was a heck of a session.
4: Yeah, didn't uh, the Romeos put a record out on Atco?
5: There you go. You know what I mean? It's hard, it's hard to find the right girl. And yeah. uh, eight days a eight week. Eight days a week. Yeah. Eight days a week. That was before the Beatles, too, by the way.
6: <laughs> Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fonte from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribbling, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied and nuanced as the black experience itself In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center of Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know
0: what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash
2: host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
3: So it's it should be noted that what you really brought to the game of music um is just a level of sheen and cleanness that was ripe for FM radio yeah. at the time. It wasn't it wasn't gut bucket back porch. Sounding, which right. I love that sound too. Um but this is definitely you know, in 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 the era of I know there's there's always a debate in the air or or in the era of who holds the crown as far as I know that Isaac Hayes started working with orchestration and mm, yeah and, and Barry White as well, but what was it about the, the sound of less orchestras that told you this is what we need in in our music
5: well during that time tommy Bell <clears throat> was um he was evolving to a great arranger you know he loved Burt backrack by the way you Oh, know? wow and Bobby martin and it, it just seemed like everybody wanted to um all of the arrangers they wanted to work with vol orchestrations let me put it like that it's so much different from what it is today. Today, I guess, the fewer the instruments, the better it is. Mm-hmm. Well, you do get a better presence when you have fewer instruments, you right. know. But, um, but that's—I think that's just well—in a simple way to, to say it is that that's what we heard in the music, you know.
3: Oh, I was going to say yeah, because when you guys are cutting a basic track, right? The strings aren't done right. yet. Yeah. No. So how do you? How hard is it for you to have faith that? Uh, all right, great example. Something as as bare as uh, the O.J.'s How Can You Call Me Brother? Yeah. Which is a very basic rhythm track, but really depends on the horn orchestration, that sort of thing. So is it that you have that much faith in Bobby or uh, Norman Harris was also a good arranger yeah. for you guys as well? It like, was good. That you just like, I know once I feed them this, then they're going to, Really, put no. the impact in. Well, no,
5: what we would do is we take a um, a cassette player. We get a small cassette of the session with the rhythm mm-hmm. and the voices on it, and I'd sit down with, and we would sit down with the uh, with Bobby Martin, and then we would hum ah. the parts to them. Okay, this is what we want the trumpets to play. This is what we want the trombones to play. This is what we want. The strings to play, and then, and believe it or not, I'm gonna tell you something. Even today, I can still remember all those re- uh, arrangements wow. in my head. I mean, it's it's like the brainwashed me almost. <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> you know, you can still hear it all, and uh, and it was unbelievable. Plus, too, if you if you listen to the tracks, a lot of the stuff happens when you write the song. The arrangement is in the song, you know. And so right. where Huff used to play on, on every session, and uh, between him and myself and Tom Bell and, and like you said, Norman Harris, Norman Harris, he, he did an excellent job because he couldn't even arrange at first. I mean, you, you're talking about guys who couldn't even write music when, really? we, when we first started. No, nah, these guys are, between Roland and Bobby Martin, they probably taught all of those guys. How to write and uh, arrange music, and and also Vince Montana. Oh yeah, yeah. It was great. And um, but these are like goody sixty goody.
3: pieces, right? Uh, we 40, had, 60 pieces.
5: We we would have at least eight or nine rhythm people. Okay. <clears throat> we would have, um, I'd say, at least ten between trumpets, horns, and and brass. But see, we would double things, so it would would sound. (coughs) Sneaky.
4: (laughs) I thought it was Schubert time, like you guys recorded. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) we
5: would double stuff and triple stuff at some times to really get that fullness. Because, you know, you mentioned something a moment ago. When the industry moved from mono to stereo, was a big difference. When it moved from AM to FM, it was a big change because you got to look at the mixing process became totally different. Joe Tarcia was an excellent engineer.
3: I was going to say, talk about Joe Tarcia and how uh, did you totally trust your mixing in his hands? Was it a thing where you guys had to micromanage and be over his shoulders or he knew exactly what to do?
5: We had to be there with him. <clears throat> we had to be there with him because you know what? Sometimes we would mix until one, two, three o'clock in the morning. Right? The next day, I come in and Joe done did something to it during the night. Mm-hmm. I said, Joe, why did you pull that piano down like that? He said, Man, you can hear that because you can hear stuff when when it means something to you. you right. Know? Okay. And so Joe was—he was excellent, man. He was—he's a good. It was a good team player. We are, we had a great team. That's that's what happened with us.
0: Speaking of the team, I was going to ask you because we were talking about this before we uh, got, we started recording about Larry Gold. Since we're in right. the house that he built Where's in the he studio, at? he he's in the back somewhere. Oh, okay, yeah. But I was trying to figure. Out, I was like, so back in these days, was he just like a, a session player? Because now, of course, he's a string arranger.
5: Oh, he's great. But, he, but he was on all the sessions. Him and uh, um, and Don Rinaldo and oh a lot of the guys from the old uptown theater were were part of our band
3: so the uptown theater had a house orchestra or a house band for oh yeah
5: sam reed really sam reed was uh was the house band and he had uh most of those guys are past now but but the uptown was uh i used to go get chicken sandwiches for them guys <laughs> <laughs> over at pearls you know right and um uh, <clears throat> The Uptown Theater was, uh, that was a nest, too, for some great, great artists. You don't have places like the Uptown and places like that anymore to to develop new young people, you know, to get them a chance to uh, some reasonable price to get in a place or whatever, you know.
0: Is that what you plan on doing, Amir, when you fix up the Uptown? You going to... Bring it back to that Well, that since culture. you put me
5: on the spot,
3: sure, like, Yeah, okay. I didn't even
0: know if he knew that you was in. That's, I was really... No, it's
3: a dream of mine to to bring it back.
5: You know, we were talking to some people the other day, me and Khalif, and they were talking about the uptown, you know, doing something there. so
3: We have to. Like, it's it's too much history there. Like, yeah. the Apollo's still thriving in D.C. Um, Howard Theater. Howard Theater's back. just coming back. Yeah. You know
5: what you need, though, with the uptown... Money. See? The same thing. Yeah, money. <laughs> you money. You need you need the same thing that Apollo has. You need somebody to underwrite it, like a Coca Cola. I think is, it takes care of the Apollo, and it's not and a Ron money. Perlman too. Yeah, I Ron need. Perlman.
3: A, I, I need to know more billionaires.
5: That's Ron <laughs> Perlman. Is that the guy from Philly you're talking about?
3: No, no. Or? Ron Perlman's from. Perlman's a very weird billionaire. He he owns like oh the, he was a Revlon, wasn't he too? Yeah, but it, he has a lot of companies. But things you don't think about, like okay. uh, you know, like the, uh, uh, the person that that. Makes cotton balls or for mm-hmm. Q-tips or yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah. He owns rubber band rubber band companies like yeah. things that
3: you don't think that people yeah. need. They're oh, they like make a them. lot of money. <laughs> like yeah. The guy yeah. that owns duct tape, <laughs> like that's, yes, that's, that's the, the type of business that Ron Perlman is. That's wonderful. That's and a also smart man like, right there. Yeah. So the, the the sound I've always been curious about the sound of Philadelphia because along with that sophistication. You know, I would say that you know part of the part of the charm of Motown was like it was it was part church uh, done by jazz musicians who thought they were above playing pop music or whatever. But um, and with Stax, their sound was all the way you yeah, know look at her right, jazz. look <laughs> at her house, gutter. <laughs> um, but yet just the the sound. Were, were you giving your input as far as like? You wanted these drums to sound dead. Only bring this up because one, I mean, like, uh, what? My first five, six records at Sigma. And one day, Joe Tarsi is in the hallway. And he knew I was struggling with the drum part. And uh, I couldn't get it right. Like, I was wasting all this duct tape on my snare or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Hey, hang on, I'll be right back. And he runs upstairs. He comes down with this blue blanket. <laughs> and he's like, "This is the blue blanket that I would put on top of you know on on top of Earl's drums no, and everything, yeah. whatever, and he's like, This is the sound you're looking for and he like went to the board and did us a solid in ten minutes, and I got the sound I wanted yeah. and but it was so radical to see it at the time was it was it how did you guys construct mm. this sound like it it's it's such a, like the drums are dead, but it's more alive. And, and plus with Earl Young being the proprietor of disco, like how how did you guys well, discover, was it just accidentally discovering like, oh, people like dancing to this type of music? and
5: You know, I used to always say like the drums, there's two parts to the drums. It's the bass drum. That bass drum is very important. And also the snare and the cymbals and the so forth, and the sock symbol, <clears throat> that sock symbol sound that we came up with, mm-hmm. that come from the house of prayer. That's like that's like <laughs> they a tam- were playing, yeah, yeah, like tambourines, you know ah, what I mean? Ah, okay. So oh. it was a mix between all of that, you know, and. We did it so much the the musicians would say man please let's don't play that no more I said, you got to play it, cuz that's what but gave that's us keeping our, the, that's keeping the food on yeah keep it going and then uh and then really the drums and the bass was like a pair you know that bass the bass and and the bass drum they had, they walked together
3: one one question I always wanted to know um when you're doing basic cutting tracks uh for ballads uh, let's say, okay. Let's say Harold Melvin and Blue Notes. Be for real. Yeah. Where for all you hip hop fans, the the song that Ghostface uses to argue over. you <laughs> <and>, uh, <laughs> oh, it's uh, Wild, not Wildflower. Um, no, no. Well, he uses "Be for Real." With Can I talk to you? Please? Like the Oh ten- yeah, yeah, well, yeah. My yeah. whole point is that <laughs> it is is. Are you guys saying that okay? We know that we want Teddy to have two minutes and forty-seven seconds of dialogue right right before (laughs) the first chorus starts. Like, how do you guys map out without without Teddy and the group being there to have a a compelling acting performance? You know, the part of the song when the song's over and then you got to talk your trash.
6: Oh, baby, (laughs) yeah, you know I need you,
3: (laughs) and this goes on. But the thing is, is that the arrangement is so perfectly uh it's it's so timed that i always wondered do you map ahead of time like okay well teddy's going to talk for two minutes and 47 seconds and then d- d- is he going on his own is are you writing out his dialogue when no, I you know just know what what it afterwards, yeah.
5: what happens with those kind of things is that we had a lot of rehearsals mm. before these artists go into the studio we would rehearse. I mean, with the OJs, Huff and I used to rehearse them days. Really? Days before we go into the studio. You know, we cut the tracks, mm-hmm. and then we rehearse them again with the tracks because it'd be different. It's one thing rehearsing on a piano, okay. you know, with me and them. But then when you cut the track, it's totally different. You got different figures and everything. But, like, I think I think the rehearsals were, were the key to everything that we did you know
3: so for like sunshine uh, oj's which is 10 minutes you're saying that even in rehearsal
5: eddie levert is going balls to the wall <laughs> that hard with his at-libs no there's a certain part of it that the artist basically it's like bunny sigler wrote sunshine okay one. and he helped to produce it he he and uh what's the other guy that was with him Phil Hurt, I think Phil's name was, okay. and so they did rehearse the OJs because the OJs used to come in Philadelphia to record. and They would stay here for a month, okay, for a whole month. The first week we would do nothing but send them around to each little room. We had rooms: McFadden and Whitehead had a room, Bunny Slicker, uh, Phil—I uh, mean uh, Sherman Marshall—who wrote for Then Came You for Dionne Warwick and all that. Right, and so we, all everybody had their own rooms. So, Huff and I would have about eight or nine songs for him. Uh, Bunny Sigler would have five or six songs for him. And then they, we put them all on a cassette tape and then we listen to them and figure out which ones we were going to cut. That would be the second phase. Now, once we start cutting the tracks, it could be 15, 16 tracks that we cut, all total. Mm-hmm. And the OJs, uh, say for example, like a song like I Love Music, right? Mm-hmm. It took all night to get those background parts together. What? No pros <laughs> All night. Yeah. yeah, this this was old, a whole different thing. Yeah, though. you gotta do it straight. And the editing aspect of all this stuff here was just crazy because you cut have, and tape. you have <laughs> cut cutting tape all over the floor, you know. So uh, so Huff and, and uh, he played uh, uh, the keyboards, wow. and the keyboards was essential to. Finding out how many bars. To, I mean, we talk about bars. We didn't, we weren't really counting bars and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and um, and rehearsing. Like Huff tells me now, he said, "Man, my back hurts." I said, "I guess so." But you've been rocking on that piano all <laughs> 50, 60 years. <laughs> no, it, we had we had a great team of people working together, and I think that. Uh, you know when you got people like like Dexter when you play to Dexter, oneself, yeah. well, I mean, I mean Dexter is uh, to me. I thought he was like Quincy Jones to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, and I used to always tell him. I said, you know, you should go out and get with Quincy Jones because this guy had that kind of talent in in my view. You know. So. Um, and in twenty
0: nineteen, the kids know Pop Wanzel. Yeah, Pop, <laughs> which is wonderful. Yeah. Yes, it is. He
5: used to be he used to be walking around the floor all the time,
0: mm-hmm.
5: which is great.
6: You know. Between you and Huff, um, you mentioned that he would be, uh, you know, on the piano. Right. Were you more of like the lyric writer, or did you lyrics. also write music as well?
5: No, nah, I really didn't. Look, I, I basically was lyrics, <laughs> okay. you know, and concepts, and um, and I he'd write lyrics sometimes too. And I play, like me and Mrs. Jones and stuff like that. I got, oh, yeah. I got about, I got about six chords I can play on the guitar. <laughs> 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 I A few chords on a guitar, and then. Um, so they come
3: with the music first, and bring it to you, or you're there at the same time. And
5: no, we, when you when you say say for example, uh, McFadden and Whitehead, who were
3: how did they work together? They think- were
5: they were just like me and Huff. Wow, they were excellent. You know, they had Victor Karstoffen that worked with them. He was a keyboard player. Okay, and so and then you had Tom Bell and Linda Creed. Linda Creed. Yeah. Linda Creed was an unbelievable lyricist. You know, let me bet you by golly, yeah. while all people that make stuff the world go around yeah and uh, yeah, people make the world go around.
3: Okay. How were you? Okay, so of course, a majority of the stuff is done under the Philly International umbrella, right? But for some of those projects that wanted that Philly sound, Eddie Kendricks, he's a friend, or or then Kim U with yeah. Dion Work and the Spinners, mm-hmm. or even the Spinners themselves, like. Right. How were you able to... Were they contractually bound to you guys first and you gave them permission to... No.
5: No, what happened with that? Just take the Spinners, for example, and Tom Bell. Tom Bell was like an independent producer. They had an independent production because there were people like the Spinners, Dionne Warwick, Johnny Mathis, and all these people. Music was... No, was, I mean was it
3: associated with you oh, or yeah. was it
5: yeah we were all working together because okay. where, where we all linked up at was in publishing uh, see with the big songs, three, Mighty Three Mighty Three Mighty okay. Three yeah with publishing and also too with with uh, the cross pollination of of McFadden and Whitehead working with Tommy and it was different different people all working together but when Tom Bell brings in a Johnny Mathis to take because most of the songs he did with Johnny Mathis had been recorded before mm-hmm. that we cut before, so it was a new expansion for us, and um, and that's pretty. Because Huff and I, we did we didn't really do a lot of outside uh, um, production things with people on different labels earlier in the game. We did, you know, like Archie Bell and uh, Wilson Pickett, which you mentioned, which was fun, but after we got to a certain point. Our whole thing was to build Philly International because what happened with that would be is more of a. First of all, we had a strong association with CBS, and we were strong as anybody uh, with the international side of of, of, of the industry. And then, um, I would think that uh, that we had uh, the same the same music. We had a great team in Philly and a great team in New York. Ron Alexa Berg and Clive Davis and all these people. Mm-hmm. We had we had a good run.
3: For the life of me, can you please answer this question? Go ahead,
1: bro. <laughs>
3: why, why, why did you guys not call T S O P Soul Train? <laughs> now <clears throat> you could have just called the song Soul Train.
5: Now, let
4: me tell you what happened.
5: <laughs> what Don, it happened was sorry. Don, Don Gold. Yeah.
4: Don you seen that already? I no. haven't seen it, but I, have a, I think I know where you're going with this story. Don
5: Caz, I told Don. I said, Don, I said we're gonna call this Soul Train thing. He said, Nah, I, I want to keep Soul Train separate, out of it, yeah. separate. What? I said, I said you can't do that. You know? No, we wanted to call it Soul Train, but you just said right. right. So then, what happened when it became such a monster, a monster, monster, monster? It record, was
3: number one,
5: yeah. All over the world, it was number one everywhere. And the funny part about it is, we called it the soul. Tr- we, we call it the sound of Philadelphia, yeah. and in parentheses, it was the Soul Train theme. theme. But he didn't want it to be the Soul Train or whatever, you know.
3: Just in case it didn't catch on. <laughs> <laughs> right.
5: But you know, he he actually really said that, and um, they did an interview with him somewhere. And he said, that was the dumbest movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> you
4: know,
5: but he was good people, man. And, and we could, we, you talk about uh, a vehicle for our music. Mm-hmm. And I used to talk to him every week. Every week. He said, okay, who are you going to send out this week? You know what I mean? So we would always have a, a place on his show. And that was pretty much the it show for, uh, for that particular time. You know I mean, it's, uh, Soul Train was... Uh, was unbelievable,
0: and weren't we just watching some footage where he was actually an advocate for Black Music Month as well? So oh, yeah. y'all were all in in your oh, relationship. yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. We were we were real good friends. Yeah, Black Music Month. That was Diana that was showing.
0: Yeah, us she was that. showing us yeah. the footage, and he was a t- testifying to Congress or on his way somewhere yeah. for Black Music Month. Wow. Okay,
3: I'm gonna always present this in the worst possible scenario. Go ahead. So I'm not gonna do gun to your head as I normally do.
4: <laughs> what is that? Mm-hmm. No, no.
3: I I always give you the ultimatum. Go ahead. Okay. So between Eddie Levert. Eddie LeVert. I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to try- figure out your, your top five starting squad. Go ahead. Now in your powerhouse lead singing voice with Eddie Levert and Teddy Pendergrass. I don't know. Was don't Kenny know. Ebo even in the picture? Was he after ABC? Did Ebo he, join? the Blue Notes. Did he join the Blue Notes after during, reaching for the? So that was, that was okay. So he don't count. All right. Yeah. So who is your who gets the advantage? Eddie Levert, Teddy Pendergrass, in your powerhouse lead singing voice. This is an easy one for me.
4: Really? Yeah. Seriously? Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, you go first. I say it's Eddie because Teddy's not available right now, unfortunately. Well, it's yeah, a but make believe. let go. Let's go to history. Yeah. I, I, yeah, if, history. If, we're, if we're talking history, history, history. if we're talking, I, I still give it to Eddie. I, still give, it to Eddie. I still give it to Eddie too. Yeah, yeah, I Eddie would be my pick. Yeah, because I mean that's Eddie Levert, bro. <laughs> I know. I know well, Teddy. He I've heard. Levert. I've heard Teddy Pendergrass singing. Teddy is a monster, but Eddie. Oh my god. Yeah really yeah Yeah. to me just to me
6: it was more so i don't know i thought that eddie was more of a he could just emote a song better and like he i don't know i mean which is saying a lot compared to teddy but yeah my vote would go to eddie too
5: all right right. right. well now let me tell you what i think (laughs) (laughs) i like all of them but i'll tell you this y'all sleeping one guy Wait, we're missing somebody? You no, I'm telling you. It's Walter Williams. Walter, yeah. Ah, yeah.
4: okay. See, but he's he's
3: uh-huh. he's my 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 yes. He's see, my assist. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see I see, see where you're I, going. A lot a lot of people, Walter Williams is my best second a lot man of people ever. People
5: sleep, Walt, see. Because see, Eddie is more of a performing artist. Mm-hmm. You're see, right When you think of Eddie Leverett, you think of a guy that's hollering yeah, and screaming yeah. and on the floor. And Walter's sweating. A singer. But Walter, I remember when I used to give Walter the lyrics. He was excellent, man. He was excellent. He would, just the way I heard him singing it, he would sing it. Wow. So, but I know what y'all trying to get after here. You're Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. who wants. I'm not
3: saying favorites. But.
5: Well, who is.
6: I still say Walter
4: Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. That's the answer. I say (laughs) Walter.
6: So when you would do, um, when you would write the songs, who would sing the the demo or the the reference tracks for the? Oh, artist? Me, me, me and Huff. You we, y'all were y'all Yeah, okay. we sing uh, yeah. really? Oh
5: yeah. So
6: <laughs> <laughs> was there any time y'all was like, you know what, I might keep this? Did y'all keep for yourself?
5: I used to tell Huff that. Me and Huff say that now. I said Huff, I said we should have kept that. Me and Mrs. Jones.
6: <laughs> I said we'd we be in Vegas right yeah, now. And, and yo, me and Mrs. Jones, I want to, like. Can we uh, just the genius of that song? Because for years I didn't know yeah. it was about an affair. Yeah, an affair. Yeah. <laughs> like, another another affair we song. love affair. We yeah, do. <laughs> we never I, we never
4: thought that. But hmm. I just all I knew was that him and Mrs. Jones had something had going, a thing on. going but on. But they both
0: yeah. knew it was wrong, so the wrong didn't.
6: Yeah, but I didn't get to that But it was
4: but it was much too strong.
3: To let <laughs> 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 it go. So are a lot of these songs from? personal experience or is it just hey this is what's going on in life and let me you know i would think like okay someone needs someone out there needs a song about this specific situation and i'm i'm the funnel that's going to to bring it to life like how does a song like that come to be and someone in your life is not looking at you side-eye-like? <laughs> right, right. Oh, really? What you mean, me and yeah, that's Full that's disclaimer, that's disclaimer. That's Deanna wasn't
0: here before you, so there was a couple songs she'd like to claim. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, wait, I mean, have you ever written a song that someone's yeah. like, yeah. Hey, that's wait me"? wait a minute.
0: Say,
5: that sounds like us, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, what happened... To me, as a songwriter and Huff, we before we would write songs, Huff and I, we would sit in a room, just like this here, like we're doing here, and talk.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: And just talk and laugh and talk about the fantasy. The fantasy was a bar that was right across the street from us and everybody used to be at the fantasy. You know, Miss Loretta, mm-hmm. and we used to go there to eat. It was on, Bra- Bra- on Broad and Spruce. Yeah. Unbelievable. I went
3: there once in my once life. Once in
5: life. Oh, it was great. Yeah. But but anyway, so what we would do is uh, go on, we could go into fantasy, right? And all you got to do is sit there and you see all these people and, and you you make up stuff. You make up stories. You make up stories. You make up uh, stories. Yeah. say, yeah. so look at that guy over there, man. He's with that young girl, man. That's not his wife or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then we go back and sit at the uh, piano. <laughs> And uh, and come up
6: with stories about wow. uh, how often did I mean because at this time I mean you got Eddie you got Teddy you know you have all these great singers who Lou Rose Lou Rose yeah, yeah, who yeah, I wow. imagine had several women. unbelievable <laughs> how much of <laughs> how much of their lives would you look at and say like damn Teddy's going through this and then yeah. take it and write about it
5: I don't know i mean... There was so much to write about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much to write about, and we were having so much fun. And then, you know, you put a formula together. Mm-hmm. Our formula was, because at that time, albums was the whole thing. Albums were selling. Mm-hmm. And so you take an artist like Teddy Pendergrass, who was so versatile, number one. And uh, as a matter of fact, I heard one of his songs today. Uh, my, latest greatest, my latest greatest inspiration, yeah. And I was listening to, her, I said, Wow, what a record, you know what I mean? Just the all the, the parts of it, you know what I mean? So, how,
3: how many hours would it take for you to know that you have a great Teddy performance? Mm. Like, and do you, is there a code word like, All right, take him, take it home, you know what to do? No, because he's, this
5: guy, Teddy Pentagrass. We would rehearse him too. Wow! Really?
3: You weren't scared to waste a performance?
5: No, we rehearse him wow. because see, The theory we had was, when you're recording, we don't want you standing in there reading on the paper. Uh, we wanted, wanted the to come yeah. from inside. Yeah, you okay. got to come from yeah. here. Forget that. Oh. You got to know these songs. You see, because it's better. That makes sense. It makes it's a whole lot better. of sense. It's much better. It's a better performance. And so Teddy Pendergrass was the worst guy. You know, because he'd always lose the papers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but you had to do it. You got to learn it, Teddy. You got to learn these lyrics and you got to go in there and you got to sing them.
3: Well, okay, so speaking of latest, greatest, I'm trying to figure, is that the song that Teddy has went the most at the end? (laughs) 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 That's
5: true, man. How,
3: How do you pull...
6: That out of I
5: didn't do that. He did that himself. And there was no I mean No, I wanted more. <laughs> that was uh, that was unusual for him to even do that, but that song made him do that. Really. You know, and then the background was so sweet with Cecil Womack. Oh wow. Leon Huff mm-hmm. and myself. It was the three of us singing on that. It was Cecil Womack, I believe I was saying. So we were still the Romeo's. We were still background in the singers <laughs> and everything. <laughs> so it was fun, you know what I mean, to right. to be in the studio and and sing background. We to, did background uh for uh stylistics. We was on all of that stuff. And we was on um if you don't know me by now, we sang the background on that.
3: Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um you know what, I always wanted to know could you name three acts that were close but no cigar acts that could have been on Philly International or even produced by you? Like, did you guys have a chance to? I always wanted to know if you guys ever had a chance to uh, at least talk with the Dells. I know that Charles yeah. Stephanie was with them for a long time. Then when he passed away,
5: they were without a producer. They came to Philly. They did? Yeah, we did an album with them. When? What? Uh, what year was that? Um
3: The Dells came. I salute you, 1992. I salute you, yeah. What was it? Was Marvin Jr. still in, he was five still in form? He He's
5: still in there. And you know what? We got stuff in on on uh in the can on them. And because they did a version of Ave Maria. Say what? I'm telling no, we was just like in the studio and we was just all talking and everything and then all of a sudden they started singing. Ave Maria, and we had to we had the mics on and everything, and man, I tell you, it was beautiful. The Dells doing Ave the Maria. The Dells doing Ave Maria. They could
3: do that. Or if, there's, they have a really weird version of uh, "You Are My Sunshine."
5: Who the Dells? Oh, you see? I which <laughs> I
3: <I'd> never. <laughs> they did it in minor, like you oh, know, wow. the, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's supposed to be the right, happy, so bad <laughs> Who did so that? The Dells, yeah. The Dells Charles, Stephanie, and the Dells did like a minor version. It's like the darkest version, the most soulful, darkest version of "You Are My Sunshine." He was talented, it's, Charles yeah. Stephanie, yeah. excellent. So, but what three acts did you have that you were close but no cigars? Like came to Philly and yeah, let's work together, and then it just didn't happen.
5: Well, Earth, Wind, Fire is one. What? What? This was years and years, like when we were first getting started, you know. Oh. And we had a we had a deal with uh, Chess Checker, and we had a management company called Huga H U G A Huff and Gamble. It's called Huga Huga Management. Okay. And Earth, Wind and Fire. This is when they had the, the girl with them. I forget. Jessica Cleve. Jessica Cleve, yeah. and they came up, and we were we were trying to get ourselves together. To be honest with you. And they were trying to get themselves together. But then they became monsters. And (laughs) we were at the same label. They was with Columbia, too, CBS. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: Well, that's one. Okay. One act like that. And uh, I always wanted to cut the temptations. Mm. Always tried. And they slipped right through my fingers, the temptations. And um, was
3: this during the period that they went to Atlantic instead? Yeah. Okay. As a
5: matter of fact, we were bringing, we, we, um, we had um, David Ruffin, Eddie Ken, we had them all back together again. What? We did. And man, it just didn't work out. It didn't work out. And uh Otis, me and Otis always remained good friends, you know. Okay. And then um
0: Somebody told me to mention Bob Marley. There was almost uh, Bob Marley. Bob Marley. Thing. Yeah, that was Wait, what?
5: Yeah, we Thanks, were. Thanks, Khalif. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you serious? Yeah. Whoa. Bob Marley. Bob Marley, the International
3: was, Records.
5: Man, that would have been great. Bob was, um, he was for destiny and purpose, you know what I mean? Right. So he liked what we were doing with music and and the messages that we, because our whole thing was the message in the music, right. you know?
0: This post clean up the ghetto, right? Like, yeah,
5: right. all of this was, and Bob Marley, he, he was like, um, when I met with him, he said, man, we can bring people together from all over the world. I said, well, let's do it. Let's get it. And oh. so his manager and lawyer at the time, I think they were trying to get a big money deal. You know what I mean? Okay. And we didn't have a whole lot of money. We had we had a lot of talent. Prestige, and, 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 yeah. Right. Bob wanted been. Then Bob got sick. He got sick. This was got to be. I don't know. Guess around seventy nine, eighty something. Well, like? in Philly, in Ph- uh, no. He, he did
3: City Lights uh, in eighty one. Eighty one
5: city lights appearance it was that his last one yeah it was like was around that time where i met with him Mm -hmm. and um
3: that could have been something
5: oh it would have been great as a matter of fact when we had the black music association we had bob marley and stevie wonder right here in philadelphia that was Mm -hmm. then bob marley and stevie wonder was the entertainment for the black music association Wow, unbelievable
3: can I mention this?
5: What?
6: <laughs> oh no!
3: No! 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 Oh. It's it's okay. So for some reason, are are you guys familiar with um, the seven? How many thousands of reels came from Sigma? You
5: you said seven?
3: Yeah. Yeah, like over seven. Okay, so when Sigma imploded, mm. okay, uh, a lot of these reels were just about to go in the trash like it was going to go to storage and that didn't happen so basically uh, drexel university wound up with thousands and thousands Thousands and thousands of of reels so there is a week that stevie wonder spent in philadelphia um in which uh I, i don't know the particular date on the on the call sheet but he's at sigma demoing what will become i love you too much that was on in square, oh, circle. In square circle yeah uh i think that the real date was it 79 80 or something I
6: think. yeah
3: so it's yeah. there is about there's about 2 weeks worth of philadelphia sigma reels of stevie wonder um recutting a seeds of star and like five or six other songs but one song is actually with al green him giving it to al green It's it's like a demo, but it's good enough for me to steal and DJ
5: (laughs) Hey listen, he used to be here all the time, Stevie. Really? Yeah, he would fall asleep on the couch. He would come to the studio, I mean unannounced, everything. Just That sounds like Stevie. It was great. Just show up, be like, hey
4: Stevie Wonder.
3: Not the yeah. first time.
4: Can we rewind just a little bit? Because we kind of yeah, sk- we, we, no, yeah, we skipped. Um, big, we skipped a couple of things. Two well, of my, two of my favorite songs that have the Gamble and Huff name on them. Right, we've completely glossed over.
3: We didn't. We just. I'm trying to <laughs> turn the car back too. Oh, never mind. Never <laughs> I was about to go back to Richard Barrett, so we can cover wow. three degrees. But go ahead.
4: Oh uh, well, I was going back to the Soul Survivors and Expressway to Your Heart. Wow. Which, that's I, right. I remember. I was probably like. F- six or seven years old mm. in my bedroom. Somehow that record had gotten into my room and it stayed on my little Fisher-Price turntable for like three weeks. <laughs> like I played that <laughs> record <laughs> over <laughs> and over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was all, it was on Gamble Records, which predated Philadelphia International. Oh yeah. So can you talk about that early label experience and what that was like in and the transition into Philly International? Wow,
5: Gamble Records was... Uh... My partner there was uh, Benny Crash. You remember Crash Brothers clothing store? Yes. That was my partner then. What? Benny Crash. That loud guy? Crash Brothers. If you didn't buy your clothes from Crash Brothers, <laughs> you've been robbed. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Benny Crash.
3: He's... Uh, no New Yorkers here. He... he he's, yes, he probably paid too much. It's kind of like the... He was a, crazy a, he was a crazy crazy, Eddie, crazy, Eddie, crazy Eddie. Eddie ah. type of guy. Okay. But Crash Brothers, Crash Brothers, like, he,
5: he was, was your partner? He was my partner. <laughs> Benny said, if you got to go, go in a Crash Brothers suit. He was in a, in a casket.
2: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
5: Benny was great. He taught me a lot, man. He really did. And uh, he loved music. He liked to sing himself. So one day I was in there. All of us used to buy clothes for stage and stuff like that. And he said, you know, Kenny, I want to make a record. He said, could you and your band work with me? I said, yeah, we'll work with you. I said, well, why don't... I said, I got some groups that I'm working with. I said, I need you uh, to help me out with them. So we made a deal. He became my partner and uh, did groups. He had... His songs was called... His group was called The Knights and Arthur was the name of his group and we we cut that. <laughs> it was good and um, he had one song that Curtis Mayfield took. It was called Man O' Man. Man, man O' oh, Man. Have you been to Spain? The uh, the Young Jeezy sample. There you dun, go. Dun, dun,
4: dun, 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 oh, oh yeah. okay. he
5: wrote Man O' Man. Man O' oh, Man, he wrote it. Ute.
3: Unbelievable. <laughs> I gotta bring it. I wasn't going to do it, but I gotta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, read it back. <laughs> what is the that? The Crash? Uh, that that's, that when, when someone drops a bomb, yeah. and, uh, I just got a Crash Brothers <laughs> man. Wrote, he wrote "Man, Oh Man." Benny Crash. That's right. There's a a, a a key, vital scene in Dead Presidents movie when that comes on, of mm. which
5: ain't that something?
3: I'm never ever going to. I gotta hear tell his a-
5: daughter. Ain't that some <laughs> unbelievable? <laughs> that's crazy. Benny Crash. Man, oh yeah.
3: Oh, man, that's
5: crazy. Yeah, so um, Philly International was in, in coming, you know, so me and Huff, we were working with the Intruders. Mm-hmm. Cowboys the Girls. Cowboys yes. the Girls. That was the other song I was going to bring up. Cowboys <laughs> the Girls.
3: Oh, I Always love My Mama.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that man. was later. Yeah, much later. But That was later. And um, let me think... Uh, we had a lot of little groups. Music
4: Makers United. Music Makers, yeah, yeah United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another one that stayed in my room quite a bit too. And we had the up.
5: Music Makers, we also did we did something else with them that I really liked. It was instrumental. I think it was I'm going to make you love me. That we did on them. But uh I think that from that experience we had uh, we had some girls from Camden called the Swans, the the Baby Dolls and Sammy Sevens, everybody do the crossfire. I mean, we we, <laughs> we we were doing all kinds of stuff, man. You're making me really think. My my brain is <laughs> going deep in my head, thinking of those days, you know. Because you had, like he was saying a moment ago, he had so many record companies in Philly, and it was hard for me enough to get in there. You know what I mean?
3: Um, Richard Barrett, I know, um, who Great. started uh. The Three Degrees. Three Degrees. How did, were you guys involved at all, involved at, back when they were on the, I forget what label they were on before they came to Philly International.
5: I don't even know what label they were on back then. Park? What? Let me think. I think Swan Records. Swan Records. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Huff was working with them then. Okay. Huff was working with them. I never worked with them until they came to Philly International. I love working with them because they were tremendous uh, harmony. Their harmony was, was really uh, tight. Okay. And Richard, Richard was extremely talented.
3: Mm-hmm. What was his role in the group? Was he their manager? He was their or-
5: manager and and their, I mean their conductor. I mean he was, he's the one that made them. To be honest with you. Right. Okay. He taught them everything. You know and. Uh, they were very disciplined. in Three Degrees, that that stage performance was in, was in, uh, was unbelievable.
3: Who's yeah. whose idea was it? I guess it's no coincidence of of the of all the live records cut mm-hmm. in London. I guess when Philly International went on tour, because I know the OJ's cut their album
5: Intruders. in London, and the and, and Billy Paul
3: and Billy Paul in the Three Degrees. Three so degrees. was it just like? Were they all at this one venue this one all at okay. one venue? I, I never knew if it was like separate yeah. times no, or...
5: it made sense to just got everything at one time, and it was great, oh okay, Billy Poe um,
3: yeah. I guess we should also mention the Jacksons. <laughs> I mean yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. 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 oh the yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you um just about your work with them because um i I read in an interview once, I think it was you that recognized that they were ready to produce themselves, yeah. and um. I just wanted to know what was it that you, well, one, what were those sessions like just working with them? And two, uh, how can you tell as a producer when someone is ready to produce themselves?
5: Well, you can just feel it. You can feel like they, they got a pretty good sense of who they are. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Not only that, Michael Jackson, working with him, I used to ask him all the time. I said, how do you hear yourself? So he used to go to the piano. He played the piano a little bit. And... Uh, he said, "Well, let me try. Let me try something." When we went to um, to to overdub his voice, and that was the first time that I saw an artist double AA their voice, triple their voice. He had all kinds of little tricks and stuff that he was doing. Uh, show me uh, way to go. Yeah, I used to think that was one take. No, no. it was humanly impossible. It's impossible to sing that. Yeah, and so he was. He was showing me. I said, "Go ahead." You know what I mean? I said, "I think him and Tito." Be honest with you, okay. Tito was the musician, and so I think him and Tito was really, um, really talented. And the other guys like Jackie and uh, and Marlon, and you know what I tried to do was bring it out of them because they had been beat down so much with Michael just. Became mm-hmm. just such a giant, you know what I mean, that they were scared to say anything. Come on. <laughs> Marlon was a tremendous dancer. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah, yeah still. Still.
5: Unbelievable. In fact, I talked yeah. to him the other day, and uh, they've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. They've been yeah. through a lot, that that group. and uh,
3: I'll, I'll say that my it's, – it's weird because uh, Sony just re-released – the Jacksons and Going Places, going places yeah. uh, like a month ago, like going remastered. And oh, really? Going Places is still a personal favorite of mine. I don't, I mean, I just have sentimental attachment to it because yeah. I was seven at the time and I used to see them. I never knew that Philly International was yeah. next to my school. I went to Performing Arts School on
5: Broad Street. Broad Street. Ain't 313. And you guys were 309. 309.
3: Ain't and never knew that. How long were you guys at 309?
5: Oh, my God. We went to 309 about, um, what was it, about 1970, 1969, 70. Oh, y'all were always there. Can you tell the no, story? We, cr- we were across the street at the Schubert. At Golden the Schubert, First, okay. On the sixth floor. Okay.
0: Can you tell the story how you had to have somebody else come in and, and oh. buy, look at the building? So. Oh,
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Well, they wouldn't sell the building to us at first. Oh, <laughs> of course. Oh, so what we did is we got uh, our lawyer, his name was Eric Kronfeld, got him to go to the bank and everything to make the settlement and everything. And then when it got down to the point where they needed us to sign, we'd come over and sign the papers because, see, it was <gasps> hard. <So they> realized, <laughs> they were, they were real. Yeah, because that's exactly what it was, too. They... They looked at. Um, well, it's hard. It's even today. It's hard for for African American people to get a uh, building, a building yes. credit. You know, mm-hmm. but it was it was good move. It was a good. Yeah, Alan the Klein. Right as a matter of fact, Alan Klein was the owner. Really? Of the building? Yeah.
3: Alan Klein. Alan Klein, the guy Abco? who had
5: the Beatles. Yeah, Abco. Wow.
3: And it, even with your stature at that time, they just felt like nope that's
5: so, all. i'm telling you i mean what they did to us was uh you gotta get finance and we, we couldn't pay for the building i wish we i wish we could have but mm-hmm. you have to get mortgages because the thing of it is too is that that building uh, uh the tragedy of it is when we speak of that building is that there was uh, an arson to the guy who who um we put that place on fire? That was that was that was no way for that building to go. That was terrible, mm-hmm. you
0: know. Yeah, rest in peace, three hundred nine.
5: Yeah, it was a lot there. I tell you, a whole lot.
0: Now is is it a parking lot? What the, what they? No,
5: nah, well, it's about to be a hotel. Yeah, it's um, going to it's the... going to be a condominiums and uh, a hotel. and no hotel this time though. Yeah, it's good.
0: Did you put the Jacksons through the same rehearsal situation that you put through the other artists in?
5: Exactly. <laughs> everybody. everybody They'd already the been same through it. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah, used to it. Yeah. yeah, and they were great. I mean, and uh, and their father, man, this guy was, he was a wonderful dude, man. You know, you don't
0: hear that a lot. Yeah.
4: That no, he was. He was great. Here's a random question about the Jacksons. Did you miss Jermaine's presence? I, it would have been good if he was there. Let me put it like that. He
3: also came to Philly. There's four songs. He also cut some tracks at Sigma in 1976. I don't know if it's with Tom Bell, but there was a point where Jermaine Jackson came to Philly. Two, yes, it's uh, uh, what's good for the gander.
5: Norman Harris. Norman Harris. It sounds like... (laughs) It sounds just like it.
3: (laughs) So just help me understand. So if someone comes into Sigma and leaves with a product that still has the Gamble and Huff DNA...
5: Yeah, Like, you guys don't don't wipe
3: the board. You guys don't like... You can't use our microphones or... (laughs) Because... Even for that song, which technically has nothing to do with Gamble and Huff, true, it's Gamble yeah, and Huff
6: straight up. You can hear it, yeah.
3: So it's like, how, how do, you do you
6: protect the secret sauce? Like, but you, I, 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 you know, but he, then
3: like David Bowie came to to sure. Philly, his records sound like. So how do you do? You feel some sort of? Did you ever feel a sort of way when an artist comes to Sigma? still uses your board, your mixing, your your and resources. the rhythm section. The
5: rhythm section. Yes. Too. See, that's what made it. But you know what? I used to think, you know, it's enough for everybody. You know what I mean? And you know that that was a good hustle they had. You know, Joe <laughs> and all You <of> <laughs> know, a
6: good hustle.
4: It was. It
5: was a good hustle because everybody wanted that sound. BB King was there. And, you're and right. Like David Bowie was there, and uh, who else? Elton John came over. Oh, and he, wow. But everybody was grabbing, trying to grab their little piece or whatever. But I never felt like Without that. coming to the water well? Because, <laughs> see, the bottom line of it was, it was this, is that it's not to try to make that little bit of money from a session. It's to make a classic product. Because mm. then you really got something. And I used to tell him, I said, you know what? I said, you can't get around it. You can't get around hard work and you can't get around having great songs. And if you got, if you just going in there and you just going to throw some people together and you're going to do a record, that almost sounds like what they're coming there for. You're wasting the whole thing. So, because even, if, and everybody was trying to get their little piece. Everybody, everybody, their they, the hands was itching. They wanted to get money. They wanted to get money because. I even told Tommy Bell, even with the uh, Elton John, it would have been great if we could have all worked on Elton John together. Mm. You know, but you know, uh, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? You know, retro- who, who just? Oh, I'm
0: sorry. I was just going to ask: any of those artists ever circle back to you with? No, not really. I mean, even with conversation
5: no. about it, oh. I, w- I wouldn't even. I wouldn't do nothing with them. I mean, we had our hands full. Believe me.
3: We but who de- who decides the division of labor? Like, uh, if, if some artist has only April, the second week of April to come to Philly to do something and mm-hmm. you're not available, are you saying, okay, well, take him to Fadden. Dexter? Yeah, or, yeah, really. mm-hmm. Like, are you the person that throws the ball and decides who goes where or?
5: Not really. I mean, because we generally work it out because the first part of the work, is on us. Is on me and Huff and McFadden, Whitehead, Dexter, and Cynthia. Cynthia Biggs was great also, uh, too. Okay. She used to write with Dexter. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Charlie Boy and Bruce Halls. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a little group that we worked with, and and we would. the first thing that we would have to do is get the songs. Do we have the songs that we need before we bring these guys in here And if we got the songs and we all sit around listening to the songs and we say, well, we got some songs, let's bring them in. Then we map out with their tour people, like with the OJs or Al Melvin, Bluenots, whoever, or Teddy. Say, okay, we need them for 10 days. Then they can go away for a week Mm -hmm. and come back and give us another 10 days and they would schedule and then we would schedule the release dates photos for the album everything would be be set up be set up so that so that it's not really um it's not an inconvenience to anybody the way we was recording why did you uh
3: not why but what was the inspiration behind you doing you would always do these paragraphs of whatever the concept of the record was Line yeah. of notes. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Kind like, yeah, of like I notes. forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You That's what the they're
5: called. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I started doing that. Part. I love that, man. But that really got me obsessed yeah. with liner notes. Because you know what? I, I used to write about what the theme of the album was, you know? You know, like Would you uh,
3: name it sometimes, the album? Tell yeah, it's called I used Ship to,
5: Ahoy. And... Yeah, I used to say stuff on it. Then, who, had, who was I signing Ship Ahoy to? Yeah, he's got him over there. Yeah. Where's that album at? I just signed it for you. Let me see that. Yes. So was "Ship Ahoy" your concept, and they were with it, because this is
3: pre-roots. Like nobody was oh, really yeah. dealing with the slave trade, and
5: oh yeah, this was something here. Yeah, of it. "Ship Ahoy." Yeah, yeah, this was something. It was. Yeah, this was something because you know what? This is around the time of uh, the whole Alex Haley and the Roots and all that stuff was going on. I said, "Hey, there's no music about it." You know, so we did this album here. I got it's a it's a song that goes with this here too that we never got a chance to uh to do.
3: Speaking of speaking of Shipwood, uh I gotta know, how did you guys wind up with Anthony Jackson?
5: Oh. who <laughs> he used to play like, with Billy Paul.
6: That bass famous bass line probably of all time. Mm-hmm. Wasn't great. He was great. Yes. He was I mean excited. He, he
3: I also Anthony told me he invented the, the five string bass. I didn't, did not know that. Did he
5: invent that? Yes.
3: Oh. He there was never a five-string
5: bass till he came along. And oh. when he customized his bass, he I tell you one thing. He was great. That day he played he played like I'm I don't I'm telling you, it was unbelievable.
3: Did you have that bass line for for the love of money
5: or was that no, he he improvised. Was that in his mind? Yeah. No, we we basically had the concept, and he took it and imp, imp, emphasized. I mean, he, he just he took it to
4: another level. Yeah. why do you why don't you play that real quick? The <laughs> intro. <laughs> so
5: you you said there was a song, a song that goes with that? What no, What do you mean? There's um, no his, like
3: his a or no no he his... didn't record it.
5: Yeah.
0: Right. You said that y'all didn't record it or y'all didn't put it on the album.
5: No, it's got to be. Um, no, uh, on all of these albums, there was... Uh, oh, The Message. Yeah, there was... Uh, he would write a paragraph.
0: Yeah.
5: You know, that's where... Now
0: know. I want to know what the paragraph said. I want
5: I, I, I guess we had it on there. I'm pretty sure <laughs> we did. But this was important to me.
4: It's
3: the great Anthony Jackson on bass, y'all.
5: No echo right there. You know this, right? Yeah.
3: yeah. Took it started away. From, started from the beginning again. That... Was that a Joe Tarsia?
5: Uh, no, that was Joe said. Told me you couldn't do it. I said, "Man, are you kidding?" <laughs> now, nowhere it. Try it. Echo back. Draft.
4: Oh, does it go back and forth throughout the whole song? I never noticed no, that.
5: No, not through the whole song. It's okay. oh, the intro.
4: Yeah. Like I knew, I noticed it in the intro, but yeah. But only that first time. Joe Never the used second to tell
5: that. me, he said you can't do that. I said, why not?
4: <laughs>
5: why can't you put Echo on a bass
0: alright you All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve.
1: Eighteen
3: plus. Can can you speak upon Teddy at at the height of his powers? And I don't think there's there's not much emphasis on how powerful he was and where he was headed, uh, where he was headed in his career. But
5: it's unbelievable, Teddy.
3: And how how. I mean, starting as a drummer in Harold Melvin the Blue Notes, like how was that power just contained inside of that unit before you eventually had to bring it out? Like you always knew that voice was there.
5: Nope. As a matter of fact, my introduction to Teddy Pendergrass, I was out <clears throat> doing something, and Huff called me, and Huff said, "Gamble," because we were always telling Harold Melvin that he needed a, a, a lead singer. You know.
3: How did he take that? That he wasn't—he's like Charlie Brown, not the star of his, yeah, own, his own special. <laughs> like.
5: But how? How is a genius? I mean, this man here—he put—he put, he put that—he could take all of us and make us the blue notes. Mm-hmm. You know, he—that's the kind of gift he has. And I used to tell him because I was, he was my friend number one, and we're trying to get—we're trying to make it. Mm-hmm. And so the key of it would be is that. Um, He had a lot of competition out there. And so to compete, Hal had a softer voice, a real smooth voice, a nice voice, but you needed that voice that could rock the house. Yeah, Yeah, you needed a voice that could rock the house. And so Huff called me one day, and said, man, he said, Hal got a guy here that plays the drums. He said, Gamble, you gotta hear this guy. So by the time I got down there to the office, and I heard him, I said, Huff, that's the guy we've been looking for. Unmewable. How did you
3: break the news to Harold that <laughs> oh, this agree. guy
5: should sing I Miss You?
3: Oh. Because we all thought that was Harold Melvin.
5: <laughs>
6: right. I know
5: it. Yeah. That's where the problem came in, at, yeah. is that, you know, that there was some kind of Harold uh, Melvin and Blue Notes, and we had Harold Melvin and Blue Notes featuring Teddy Pendergrass. Yeah, Pendergrass, right. And then we even changed it because Harold was really putting together a fantastic show. hmm He had because it could have been Hal Melvin and the Blue Notes featuring Teddy Pendergrass and Sharon Sharon Page.
3: Page. What was Sharon Page
5: before she was singing
3: in in the group?
5: McFadden and Whitehead brought Sharon Page in. Mm -hmm. You know they knew her. She was from North Philly, and she had well her voice is so sweet, man. I hope we can be together soon. Mm -hmm. That's great. And um, that was a song that we did with um, Dusty Springfield. Oh wow! Years ago, hope we can be together soon. And and how Melvin took Sharon Page and rehearsed her. And when I listened to it, I said, "Wow!" I said, "This is good." I said, "But you know what?" I said, "We got to put Teddy on here." <laughs> so, so <laughs> it was how Sharon Page and Teddy Pendergrass. I put Teddy in on the end and right, yeah, yeah which which really made it made it to me made it nice, you know. And uh well, It was kind of hard to argue with success, but I know that that must have
3: caused some sort of conflict with. I didn't, Melvin you know, I didn't
5: look at it like that. I looked at it. Well, not way. with that, because well, I, I'm telling hits. I was telling them. I said, we, "We're trying to make it, you know." And to me, you'd be like fooling yourself if you don't try to at least do the best that you can do. Did he try to attempt to sing these songs himself? He did, he did have a part in him.
3: Oh, I was gonna say you have a version of I Miss You with Harold Bellman singing?
5: I Miss You. I don't know. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, I gotta hear that. I don't think it might be though, you know, somewhere. Right in them tapes, in the reels, right. Okay. Yeah, but No. That, so, that song was, was made for Teddy Grass.
3: What was the decision to have him leave the group and did it cause No. Did it cause a conflict of interest like Okay, you're going to produce us both now, or well, we could have, and that's
5: what I suggested. Well, they to.
3: left in '76, so was that a no. conflict of interest from them, or uh,
5: well, they wanted to leave. He, they wanted, they broke the group up. But Teddy left the group, right? And he came to me, he said, "Look, I'm leaving, Harold Melvin, and uh, I can't get paid, or whatever the situation mm. was." I said, "Well," so he said, "Can I stay here?" I said, "Yeah, he can stay. It's no problem." So then, when Harold came in. In the house, say, well, you know, Teddy left the group. I got me a new singer, you know, what I mean, and I'll stay, but I don't want Teddy over here. I said, well, we can't do that. You're going to lose this one. Right. Can't do it. So, uh, and he had a good group because that's when Ebo, I think he was. Kenny Richard, Ebo. Yeah. David, David Ebo, I think his name was. Kenny might be. But anyway, he was good. And, uh, but it wasn't like Teddy Pendergrass. Right. Yeah, the whole thing. And, uh, and I think that's during the time when uh, "Wake Up Everybody" came out, and that was pretty much didn't need a background. "Wake right. Up Everybody," mm-hmm. and so we didn't use a background. But that was before the group broke up, anyway. Right. So. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't wasn't anything. But I loved how Harold. Harold Melvin had uh, he had a lot of talent, and and uh, he's the guy who who discovered Teddy Pendergrass.
3: So the of the classic Philly International records, I mean, do you consider the classic logo era of Philly International, do you consider Patty LaBelle to be the end of that sentence? Or Wow, ain't that
5: something? She's great. I'm in love
6: again. That's a great song, by the way. Yeah. If Only You Knew. Um, that was like, yeah. that's one of my favorite. I, my mother love Need and Want time. You. Love oh, Need and Want You, yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I, I, you know, Patty LaBelle, she's
6: a classic, mm-hmm. you know,
5: and uh, I mean, when you start to think of these people, you know, these are all all good friends. I try to make sure that we not only make music together, but we also respect one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Patty, I've been knowing Patty since we were teenagers. You know, I was really glad to be able to work with her and, and really glad to get the hits that we got with her. We got some stuff on her right now in the can that I want to get it out. So we're going to start trying to put some of this stuff out.
3: I want to know what's in the can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please.
5: Huh? You want to, you do? I want to know what's in the can. Yeah. yeah. I
3: want to know what's in the can. Yeah. So go up if, there with are you able there? to pick of of your entire, oh.
0: Did you hear that invite?
5: Uh, yeah, I was like, "You
3: wait. missed it." You know, I'll,
0: yeah, you to lose. I heard
3: it, but I didn't absorb it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Yeah, okay. Of 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 your entire canon, what do you, what do you feel? What is the most special to you? The most sentimental? Your your baby. Your, your the song that you've written. Can you say that? Wow,
5: there's quite a few of them. All right,
3: yeah, I'll uh, give you three. Give me. What one. are you?
5: What are your three? Well, let's go with um let's go with family reunion. Mm. That's a good one. Okay. You feel, a certain, you, you feel a certain way when you when you hear yeah. that song. When you know when those I
4: mean? opening notes come in, like it's just warmth all over. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's that's uh, I love that record. Yeah, that's like yeah. the
5: potato salad. Yeah, it's good for you. Women
0: Cousin they're P- in the kitchen. <laughs> oh,
3: uh
6: oh, <laughs> <yes. laughs>
2: Oh, I forgot.
6: <laughs> that's a real picture.
5: Yeah, that's nice. And uh, for 1976.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> what else you got? I think. Uh, well, this well, for the love of money, of course. You know that that just that's you doing all. your
0: top earners over there.
5: <laughs> hey. Hey, look, in the last hey, hey, for the hey, houses. check this out. On this album here, here's a song that we did. It's called This Air I Breathe. Now, this was before all the pollution and the all The ecology, right. This air I breathe. It says, don't belong to me. I breathe it in. I take it in and I breathe it out. It just won't stay in my mouth. That's the lyrics. So. Yeah. Wow. Don't call uh, me brother. That's a good one. People. I talking. love that song. That's a good one. It's the truth. That song.
3: is my favorite song. That's the original Player yeah. hater
2: call out. Yeah, <laughs> and I ask a, a question. Yes. I'm noticing in, in some of the songwriting
6: credits, sometimes it's uh Huff Gamble, sometimes it's Gamble Huff.
2: I, I didn't notice
3: that. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, John Lennon, a uh, Lennon McCartney yeah, uh, situation. I, I,
2: I, I'm not sure. Did that mean anything? Did that represent
5: no, anything? Not no. to me. I've I, I never even seen that. You seen no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, That's like on the new.
3: same album. Like, That's something consecutive new. That's songs. Is like yeah. a, it might just be a typo or something. What song is that? Uh-oh. It's
6: Nobody Could Take Your Place is Huff Gamble. Nobody I mean, Could Ever Take Your somewhere Place. Somewhere down the line is Gamble Huff. Huh?
0: Well,
5: same thing. Nobody Could Ever Take Your Place. That's a good
0: song. Was uh, Lou Rawls' You'll Never Find, is that one of your top three?
5: Yeah, that's a good one.
0: But I else, gotta give it to Belief that- again. I can't take the credit. Uh,
2: <laughs> 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 Did you ever think a song wasn't going to be a hit and it wound up being a hit or vice versa?
5: Three Degrees.
2: What? Which one?
4: When will, when will I, I, see I see you again? Oh, when will, when will, when will you I know, you?
3: I, I, it just hit me that a big part of their notoriety was the fact that that song was also a favorite of Prince Charles. Uh, yeah. So oh, they oh, wow. okay. Prince Charles was like, yeah. He that was his that was his That was, his, that was his TLC. So he invited them <laughs> over. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and That's then, why he was cheating with Camilla. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well I see this, you? Again. This is when. This is when he was a teenager. Oh, okay, okay.
5: But so, keep, but keep talking. He
3: invited them over. <laughs> he loved them, and yeah. then like they were in the press. They're like, meet Prince Charles's favorite group, the Three Degrees, and that
6: that's how like that. That helped them a lot. Like Charles was the Drake of his day. (laughs) (laughs) Nights over Egypt. Mm. Oh,
2: Oh, oh, Jones girls. Yeah, Yeah, the Jones girls. Oh, Oh. Wow, the Jones
5: girls. Man, you guys are just pulling them out. Yeah. Yeah. Nights
0: over Egypt, the iterations of it. I
5: mean, that goes Mm -hmm. back to Dexter
4: Wanzel again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dance turned into romance. The the most
5: the, the beautiful thing was we had so much competition. Amongst each other, you know, and so that makes it better when you got people that you have to compete with, you got to win, so you got to be good. And, um, I listened to songs like, um, like Sadie at Jefferson and Simmons, mm-hmm. that was a great song, Sadie, you know, and the spinners were. They were excellent. I mean, uh, Felipe, the guy who was Felipe the lead wins, single, fan, this guy was unbelievable. You know, he was he was as good, almost as a Teddy Pendergrass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially in performing, like out mm-hmm. on stage, this guy he would turn a joint out, man. And uh, it's unfortunate that he that he got himself in in that, in that situation where he had that heart attack or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he he had a tremendous future. I, I would even compare him to uh, who had the potential of becoming like a Sam Cooke. That's the kind of voice that this wow. guy had. Wow. You know, they had some great albums together. I mean, Tommy Bell. I mean, he made some beautiful music with the Spinners, Dionne Ward, and then there's another songwriter that we had with us, Vinnie Barrett. She was great, Vinnie Barrett. What What is your
6: favorite obscure? Yeah. joint uh probably one of them is um OJ's my favorite person. Good
4: one. That joint that, that is, a jam. That's a good yeah. one there. Yeah. I yeah. like that record. Yours, Bill. Oh, I read, I mentioned it earlier. It's uh, Dexter Wenzel's you can be what you want to be. Oh, okay. Like okay. I yeah, I love that one. Lie.
0: Just ask us not. I did mine. All
4: right. Nice reason.
0: Because I know it's not, but that's well, one It's not obscure. I know. No, I but, t- but
3: some people. It was actually a you really know, big hit.
6: But it was, <laughs> but
0: I'm just saying. It's 2019. That's <laughs> so. total
6: opposite of obscure. But no, that's that's a great song. Clean like, Up love the that ghetto, song. ghetto
3: is still
0: obscure. People rarely talk people, about. Like, Clean Up the Ghetto is still obscure to some people, so I'll take that one.
6: I
3: wasn't familiar with until Daft Punk used. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola Bottle, Coca-Cola bottle. Coca-Cola. Oh, Edwin, Edwin, Burst Burst song. Edwin Burst, yeah. yeah.
6: I, I forgot that was P-I-R. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, damn. Yeah, it was,
3: yeah. Wow. Actually, there's three Daft Punk uh, samples off that
2: first uh, Edwin true. Burst song. How do you feel about people sampling your stuff? You sampling your stuff? Oh. I think it's great. <laughs> 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 I'll take another house. No, that, I, I, yeah. I, it's,
4: that's the perfect answer because it basically it recontextualizes it for an, an entire new generation. Like I beautiful. mean th- there's so much classic music that was sampled via hip hop that I probably wouldn't have heard of. True. Sure. So it just opened oh, yeah. my ears to so much more.
0: Oh, that was the Kanye story I was telling earlier when we was on stage and Kanye asked great. you could he get his, his, some samples for free. Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah, and you <laughs> Literally. Literally. He was like, We literally Kobe said, What would you this? like? What was the first thing you would like to say to Mr. Gamble? Can I get some samples for free?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you serious.
0: <laughs> I promise you. <laughs>
2: That's what was your shit. response? No, no,
4: can't do that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, all yeah. I, I mean, free. Uh, we can work together. Maybe it? nothing That's off normal. the top, but something yeah. off the back
5: end. But it or, be good. it's good to work, you know. But uh, Kanye, he's done good. He's done real
0: good. Do you have a favorite? How, how long ago, ago was, that? was that? That was like fifteen. Fifteen, Oof, 15 years God. ago. Wow, like yeah, boy, I'm telling you. I mean, it's been a long he life. Was, uh, uh, do you have good. a favorite use of a of a sample of your song?
5: Oh man. Uh I don't know. Cleef they did a, what did y'all do? What was that thing y'all did? Um that C D uh, did with Anthony Ellis. Oh the Sampleology. Sampology. That was that was a, a mixture of- Was Was Biggie Smalls on that? No, but he
0: used from the Cuz I used the somewhere. dynasty record. The Jay Z joint.
5: Oh yeah, Jay Z Jay Z. What more can I say?
3: Well, mine is that singing. Something for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yo. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking
0: about. Dun, 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 dun. That's another song I'm talking oh, yeah, about yeah, on a yeah. Dynasty
3: he album. He used yeah. a lot from that.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, d- do you have anything else? Um, Man, I got so many. So, okay. uh, I want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember, I think I remember this was a, like 97, 98. You did an interview with Vibe. I want to say, mm. and they played you, they were playing you like some new songs and you were kind of giving your opinion on them. And one of the songs uh, that you really liked was, um, it was hot at that time, Happily Be- happily Ever After by uh, Case. Case. Mm-hmm. And I remember you, you know, you really liked that song. You were saying, you know, this reminds me of something that, you know, me and we would have did back in our day. Yeah, and yeah. I was, and that was one of the times I really, um, I, my, I had even more respect for you because a lot of times, the older cats would look at the younger dudes like, nah, that's, <laughs> that's not real music. But that was a hot record and, and was a really good song. It's a hotter so video. When I thought, because Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce first joined. So when I saw you give that process, I was like, okay, he's still on it. You know, he's still in it. So do you have any artists now that you hear like, like from a songwriter face. perspective? And you're like, you know what? This is a really good crafted song. I wish I had written that. <laughs>
5: well, <laughs> I Dr. think... Now, like song wise, I think what what comes in my head right now is that song about Meet Me in
2: the Middle.
0: That pop me song, me Why up. Don't You Just yeah. meet Me, me the the, 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 meet
2: uh, in the Middle? I sad, love y'all right sad now. Sad and, man, more. Um, because <laughs> right now, y'all if I don't, don't know hear it,
3: it in the Uber. I right? feel, feel so <laughs> important right now. It's I know commercials and show, stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's like uh, a really popular I'm, song. So, I work I'm at still
2: The Tonight lost. Show, so you know. I'm still lost.
5: Target. Target.
2: Yeah. Why
0: Don't You Just meet Me in the Middle?
2: you've heard the song That's if a you're great. in the world
3: no, no, no. I probably it's, real it's the I got a feeling of 2017
5: got feeling. I got a feeling okay. but still has a you know I thought it was good I think it's a good it's real catchy you know yeah.
0: and that girl was a songwriter first she just started really yeah. I think singing yeah and um Maren Morris
5: surprises. yeah she was Maren on the Morris. show she's right. a
4: bell.
0: she's on Sesame Street she was
5: I like this girl um her name is her yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Yeah. I song like her writer. and this. What's the other girl's name? Scylla? Who? Yeah. Ella Yeah. Booed up. Boot up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <booed> up. <laughs> <laughs> I like both of them. I like. I like. I like. It's a little bit different. You know what I mean? And their voices are different. He
6: like John Legend too. He like. Really...
5: Love John Legend. Yeah. Love it. What do you I think like of his version up. of Wake Up? Ugh. I'll wake think. up everybody Ooh. I think it, should, it was too no many shade. people on it
0: <laughs> <laughs> no shade of mirror i yeah, I
5: think it should have did it by itself
0: you know who produced yeah, that record yeah so right? right? I think
4: so too I think so I, too you know
0: who produced that record right oh. Quest Oh,
5: that's, there, why, that's why, why you, you just threw a pick arm. at me.
4: Yes, exactly. <laughs> great. Anyway, mm-hmm. did, did you not great. have a choice in the matter of that? Well,
6: you picked the right song. In terms of how many people on it, like the Well,
3: I didn't know a Common Melanie were on it, you know. Uh, we just, we did the bare tracks and then went on tour, and it's like, oh, okay. Came back, and
6: it was. Hey.
5: But you know what?
3: <laughs>
6: okay. That song's
5: going to be around a long time because of that, because of y'all doing it, because. All of y'all careers is just blooming, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's just gonna make more people listen to it. When Common got it. an Oscar now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's that? Who's got Common. Common?
4: Common, yeah, it's great.
5: Was what? he on? Was he on Wake Up Everybody? Uh huh. To? Him too. Him, yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> <are there too. laughs> what,
0: did, what did you?
5: He what did you what did you think
3: about that the, on? The, uh, Oh, don't ask about new. What do you think about new stuff?
4: No, no, no. no, 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 it, was no, no. A, it was on. Epic. Or was it was Epic or Columbia? Columbia. 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 Yeah. I was just gonna Columbia. ask him
0: what he thought about the resurgence of like Philly Soul when, you know, the roots, the black lily, like when that Jill, when all that happened. Oh, what yeah. were you thinking?
5: Oh, uh, I loved it. I love I love the uh the whole black I guy. mean he worked with Vic DuPlay. Victor, He's very he worked vital with Victor,
0: Victor Cook.
5: <laughs> Vic Play, And
0: James Poiser, who and both James were in his basement. Poyser. yes. And Keith saying. McPhee, <laughs> who also worked in the oh, basement yeah. of PIR, right?
5: Yeah, I love it, man, because you know what? Like, I seen James in, uh, in the train station one day, mm-hmm. and me and him were sitting there talking. We were waiting for the train, and I said, James, I said, you're really doing good, man. I said, be- I, said I see you every night, like I told him. I said, I see you every night. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talk about talented people. Like, James is a very talented person. I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I was telling him, I said, you know, the, um, the part that... Uh, Jimmy Fallon does when he says "thank you." Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the thank you notes. Boy, that's a beautiful melody yeah. he's playing there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would cut. Let's that. not gas James <laughs> <Pursa> <laughs> up right <laughs> now. You please. mean Grammy
0: Award winning James Poison. <laughs> yes.
5: Yeah, I mean that. That is, in my view, that's a great melody. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to it a while. Wow. I said that
4: would be great. Maybe if you had, maybe a key a song over it. You should yeah. borrow it and do something with it. No, is. not you. I'm talking to Mr. Gamble over here. Yeah, you I'm should to it. give that song the blue face, to make it hit. <laughs> <laughs> blue face. No, uh, you, nah. don't wanna
0: yeah, you don't
3: want
6: to know. Don't go down there. I'm just saying.
4: All, all the all, all the kids are taking your stuff, so why don't you take some? Take of ours? it back. <laughs> I just might, I
5: might it. <laughs> 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 just take it back and finish it. That. Yeah. Well, well, you don't need no lyrics to it. It's just a melody. You know what I mean? And you know,
6: but some words could take it to the next place.
5: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right.
6: Well, oh, with that said, oh, just one. Uh, Love is the message, MFSB. Oh, oh, it no, Yeah, I was, I was. No, go ahead. Go well, ahead no, go. no, go ahead. Are you aware of the? So there's a version, probably like the most famous version. Honestly, the first version of Love
4: is the message that I ever heard. Like, I don't even know which version of Love is I the never, message. I I'm, never I'm, heard the original. Hearing. Yeah,
6: because <laughs> I just know the remix. I just know yeah. the remix. So there's a uh, DJ mm. named Danny Crivet that did a re-edit. Of love is the message. From New York? Yeah, From New York. Yeah.
5: I've heard it.
3: Okay.
6: Yeah. What were your thoughts on it? I that? thought it was great. Okay. <laughs> cool. Because I, I that was, was the first version like, I heard. I love it. Man, how,
4: how did you feel when you found out that song was such a huge record in, in, I in discos? Like, I it's, loved it, man. Like, it's, uh, was it The Loft? It was the anthem of The Loft. It was the theme <laughs> of The Still works. Loft. Yeah. like. And You know what T. Mike Tyson told me? He said, man,
5: he said I used to take that song, Love is the message. He said I used to
4: exercise to it. Oh yeah. uh, yeah. shit! <laughs> no, I'm, I'm tell you something. You know how you know how I know it's summer in New York? How's it. I always hear somebody there? driving down the street playing "Love Is a Message" Love no matter message. what neighborhood I'm in. Ain't that something? Yeah, they could have gone a different way.
3: <laughs> I, I, yo, I'm like, right. God. Uh.
4: thank God. But no, I like. Let's go like, over I, I think I, I think I noticed it maybe the I moved to New York in maybe like two thousand two thousand two, I probably noticed it that summer. Like I first heard somebody driving down the street, and then every summer afterwards, I would he, notice like I'm always hearing somebody blasting "Love Is a Message" going down the street, no matter what neighborhood I'm in. Ain't that something? Were you
3: were you guys aware at the impact of? Because based on the times that I see on on these records, and you weren't making twelve inch. Uh, records as of yet, but did you guys have an inkling? Like, okay, the longer we make the song, the more they keep it on. The better
5: it is. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, well, there tell is. You, We had we had a fight with uh, with CBS when we were with them because the first long version record that we did was the love I lost. Mm-hmm, yes. And then we came on, back. Y'all. Yeah, that, this was that a good track. one. <laughs> that, I mean, that was uh, that was smoking that track, and um, we told them about the twelve inches, right? But CBS wanted to have them on a forty-five. Mm. I said it <laughs> ain't edit. gonna work. It's not right. gonna work. You know what I mean? You gotta have, you gotta have uh, um, uh, the twelve-inch. it has got to be the same size as the album, because mastering it. If you try to master for a little forty-five RPM, knock, yeah, the grooves gonna so, knock the needle off. Yeah, you wouldn't get the same sound. But um, yeah, that that that. But we finally won, and and the, uh, the battle with them on that uh, twelve-inch being uh the long version thirty-three and a third, and um, ain't no stopping us now. I think we must have sold like seventy-five thousand. In New York, alone uh, on the 12 inch.
3: I got one more question. That I got to wrap up. Go ahead. Jocko's rhythm talk. Oh my god, that's my
4: man.
3: <laughs> I love Jocko. How?
5: Okay, what was Jocko? Oh,
3: rhythm. I'm. A, this is gonna be my last song that I okay. play. <laughs> uh, right when when Rappers Delight was red hot, Jocko Hend- Jocko Henderson basically is the father of. Hip-hop, that that kind of cat who's, hey, pop He used to scat in the back. And he's a Philly guy? Uh, he was a Philly DJ. Philly, Philly,
5: Philly and New York.
3: Yes. Yeah. So probably a month later after Rappers Delight Light, Rhythm Talk comes out. And at least in Philadelphia, it just dominated.
5: Jocko <laughs> used to tell me, he said, rap is the thing, Kenny. And he said, I'm, I'm he said, let me go in the studio and give me this track. So he went in there and did that track. He did an excellent job. I
6: Over love Ain't that. No stopping the st- Yes. I've heard Over this. the music. I've
3: heard this. <laughs> and this is how we're going to fade out. Yo, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gamble,
4: this thank, is you, great. Man, <laughs> thank you, man. Thank, <laughs> thank you for everything. Thank <laughs> <I laughs> you love for everything. I love everything, man. Even South, Philly. For everything. <laughs> I love it. This is beautiful. This On behalf of the family...
6: Oh God.
4: <laughs> I remember this too. <laughs>
3: And this used to get played really on the radio. Dude, I copied all these lyrics and performed it in fourth grade. Fed Muku. Do
6: Papa do. Down there, do. That's <laughs> Puffa. Wow. Good. Papa got the shot. Good. Papa got the rock of Mama. Good. What year
3: is this? 79.
6: Is this area? Okay. Wow.
3: November of 79. Oh, it's my part. It's
6: a bad jam. Jaco, the originator oh, of Mumble rap. rap.
3: Yes. <laughs> Mumble <laughs> Rap, God. <guys>. Jaco <laughs> Anyway, on behalf of everybody on Quest Love Supreme, yes. this Quest Love. The family, thank you, Dr. Gamble. I appreciate Man. it. Cleave, shout out to Cleave. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Let us know you know when next go next
6: time. up. I need a hoodie. I need a TSOP hoodie.
3: Yes, absolutely.
6: We'll see y'all next time on Quest Love Supreme. When I got you, be against the law. I can talk to you, I'ma make you scream for more. Sensors rating me double like to you, mama. Your sister's next. Like, i am make your knees free. What's like like Love
3: Supreme yes. is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone
2: relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is.